Ramadan vs. Ramzan Debate Creeping Wahhabism is a False Alarm by Omer Ahmad Every year, there is an odd debate on the correct spelling of Ramadan or Ramzan. It is a curious thing, tinged with concerns about radicalization, a xenophobic nativist unease about Arabization, and generally divorced from any idea of history or an understanding of India's place in the world. Much of it reflects concerns with the Sunni violence perpetrated against the Shia populace of Pakistan without acknowledging the large differences between the Muslim communities in India and Pakistan and the impact of state policy and international wars. Let us begin with history. Since the days of the Delhi Sultanate in the 13th century, India has been a part of the Persian sphere in that the court language and etiquette reflected the high culture of the Persian Empire. It is worth noting that these rulers were almost exclusively Sunni and Persian was not associated with the Shias in the way that it is now. Nor was Persian the language of the street. Here, we had a curious mix of Brajbhasha, Turki, Khadiboli and Persian and I presume other strains that would one day end up being called Urdu in one form and Hindi in another. Amir Khusru, 1252-1325, exemplified this. A son of a Turkish officer and an Indian Muslim mother, he would write, Shoman Tutia i Hindan, Arrast Pursi Baman Hindavi Purs, Tunakhman Goon. I am a parrot of India. Ask me something in Hindavi and I shall sing you a melody. This language is heavily Persianized. Whether in Persian, if you were in court, or in Hindavi or Urdu or Rekhta, if you were an audience with the Sufi poet Ali Husseini Bande Nawaz, 1321-1422, or the soldier poet Shah Hatim, 1699-1783, who served in the army that was ravaged by Nadir Shah's assault on Delhi, the term would have remained Ramazan. Even out of Delhi, in the court of Sher Shah Suri, 1486-1545, born in present-day Bihar, who consolidated his empire in Bengal and turfed out Humayun from Delhi in 1540, the language would have been Persian. Of course, for many of the subjects of these empires, the pronunciation would have been all over the place, as it still is, and however it was spelt, they would have spoken of Ramojan or some other variant. The correct spelling would remain Ramazan, even under the onslaught of the British when the East India Company would change the court language to Urdu in parts of North India in 1837. It had already become the de facto language, although called by a variety of names by the 1700s. The laws of Afghanistan and the Central Asia by the Mughal Empire to rulers such as Nadir Shah and Ahmad Shah Abdali, who would raid Delhi instead of providing auxiliaries, forced the Mughals to reluctantly acknowledge local roots. The personification of this would be Wali Muhammad Wali, 1667-177, popularly known as Wali Dakani, and born in Aurangabad, who stripped to Delhi in 1700 is considered the point when Urdu poetry became high society poetry. Nevertheless, writing a hundred years later, Ghalib would produce his first Diwan in Persian. This depth of Persian influence was not merely a Muslim thing. Hindu poets were writing in Persian from the late Sultanate period during the Lodi era and by the 18th century, the list of Hindu poets was long and glittering. In a non-exhaustive list, 
Abdullah cites over 130 names of Hindu Persian poets who lived in the late 18th and 19th century. Chandarbhan Brahman, who served in the courts of Shah Jahan and Aurangzeb, is one famous example. There were also a number of Sikh poets also who wrote in Persian. This appreciation of Persian poetry did not end with the Mughal Empire or even with independence. Harivan Shrai Bachchan's famous Madhushala is an explicit appreciation of the Rubaiyi of Umar Khayyam, who had written in Persian. In this time, the empires of India had little association with the Arab world, with the exception of the Hajj and a few travelling scholars such as Ibn Battuta. No Indian ruler embarked on the Hajj during their lifetime, with the exception of Nawab Sikandar Begum Sahiba, 1817-68, of Bhopal, who had a terrible time. Bairam Khan, Akbar's agent, whose life is described so skillfully by TCA Raghavan in his book Attendant Lords, would end his career when forced to go on Hajj by Akbar. The Arab world was far away from the consciousness of South Asia, a place where people went at the end of their life or were, during the time of the British, sent to exile. In contrast, Persian was at the heart of high culture. This has changed dramatically after independence. Part of the reason is that Pakistan is a large buffer between India and the erstwhile Persian world. And then, after the Iranian revolution of 1979, Iran, the heartland of Persian influence, has closed in on itself and has become hemmed in by other powers. And the Arab countries, with the discovery of oil, became suddenly rich and needed workers. India had a dearth of jobs, and so Indians now suddenly found themselves in Arab lands, where the pronunciation was Ramadan. We have about 6 million Indians working in the Arab lands, about 2 million in Saudi Arabia alone, which has been in the forefront of a rivalry with Iran for influence. That rivalry has weaponized Sunni or Arab on one side and Shia or Persian on the other. This difference has played out differently in various places. 60% of Iraqis were Shia but Arab and took part in the eight-year Iraq-Iran war. In India, never a party to this conflict, Persian among Sunnis remained largely untouched, a sign of high culture even among very conservative Sunni families. But decades of Arab influence on people working in their lands has had a large influence on blue-collar workers, the large part, and white-collar workers. Many chose the Arab pronunciation. Arabic as the language of the Quran even if its antique language has significant differences than the dialects currently spoken, has a certain social cachet, and here people were being able to speak it firsthand. Even the use of certain words in the correct manner gives a certain standing. Some of this is seen as a challenge by the custodians of high culture, and also a striking difference between the continuity of India's long history of engagement with Persian. Others fear that it portends a schism like that in Pakistan, where the Zia regime, which jumped into bed with the Arab and US rivalry against Iran, drenched in violence. This change of language and a rejection of history seems to be a type of Islam propagated by Saudi Arabia's clerical establishment, often described as Wahhabi, and which bears a close resemblance to the religious ideas used by the Taliban, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. But how can one tell the difference? Is a change of pronunciation enough to denounce a person as an extremist? Is it enough to understand their religious or political beliefs? How do we judge somebody like Maulana Shaukat Ahmed Shah, 
the president of the Jamiat e Ali Hadith in Jammu and Kashmir, very much a Salafi whose beliefs would be very closely aligned to Saudi style Islam? How do we judge the fact that he denounced stone pelting by protesters and was assassinated soon after? Caveat There is no proven linkage between this. On 8th April 2011, the fear of looking into a change of pronunciation as a window into the propensity for violence, as happened in Pakistan, ignores the fact that the Pakistani state was inextricably bound into an external war which has had severe domestic and foreign consequences. It also ignores the long history of Sunni Shia rivalry within India, which, despite rights in Lucknow over sectarian differences, has not turned into an inferno of self inflicted violence. In the end, whether one has used Ramadan or Ramazan in India, or Ramujan or whatever, it has had relatively little political consequences in the country which hasn't been entwined in such conflicts. Just as being Catholic or Protestant has not had much significance in most of Europe, but is significant in Northern Ireland where wars were fought along these lines. For India, these spelling differences are currently as inconsequential as whether we spell colour with a U or not, choosing an allegiance to British or American spellings. Can this change? Can it be weaponized? Maybe. India is now growing closer to the Arab world than ever before with Saudi looking to buy the biggest refinery in the world in India. India has, post-independence, strategically chosen to stay away from being enmeshed in foreign conflicts. This has helped buffer its local populations from violence. As India becomes more consequential and its overseas population travels more, this will be harder to maintain. But it will not be a difference in pronunciation that will lead to conflict. Rather, if we become enmeshed in conflicts where sectarian differences are weaponized, pronunciations will end up being seen as important signifiers of differences, made into divisions worth dying and killing for. We will not find safety in criticizing one pronunciation as more correct than another, but rather in maintaining a society where many find their expression without threatening or being threatened by another.